This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here in Asia Torah, in the old city of Jerusalem, overlooking the Western Wall. Today we're going to talk about how to be, or we are talking about, how to master free will. This isn't one of those philosophical classes of do we have free will, which obviously we don't. <coughs> Just kidding. But you can see where I stand on the subject. That, uh, I believe we only have the illusion of free will. And not only that, when you die, you're going to have the illusion of all the consequences of your choices. So what's the difference? No real difference, except that I called it the illusion. Because when you really believe that God is all reality, so then your free will choices have to be an illusion automatically. What? The only difference is, is it fair? Then, if, it's an if our free will is an illusion? That's the only difference. Is it fair? Well, if we come with the supposition that God is the one creating this place and created it in such a way that we would have this illusion of choice, and we're going to be graded based on those choices. So I guess it's fair because. He's running it, and we're not. So yeah, it's fair. Of course it's fair. And who are we? You know, we're, what are we, God's judge? You know, like, we're not the one, we are not the ones who created this, this giant skit we're part of. He created it. Right? So, so the question is, does, is it unfair in our eyes? Would we deem it, do you deem it unfair in your eyes that you have to deal with all these tests and and when really he's running the show? I mean, in the end, you have to make the choice. Like, for example, that all of you are in Israel right now. Who made that choice? Well, ultimately, God set it all up. He knew what you were going to say. This was all like every... Think of all the circumstances that had to be, that perfectly locked into place. And then, of course, the microphone came to your mouth to say yes or no, and you're like, I'll go, Yes. And then the, they take the microphone away, and you're like, nothing like the power of choice. And meanwhile, God's like laughing, and God's laughing in heaven with, you know, his entire giant orchestra of orchestrators that you think you have free will. But you'll be duly rewarded for that. Everything will be, everything will be. I mean, there's no difference, really. So what's the issue? What's the unfair part? Yeah, it is. I don't know if that's... It. Yeah, so maybe the world isn't cruel. The word isn't cruel. The word is bizarre. It is a little... Life's a little bizarre. Yeah, bizarre. It's not unfair. It's just weird. I mean, can you imagine this? And how about this? We'll go even further. Does God's... God's obviously a conscious being, or none of this would be here. So, God's consciousness is only really interesting if there's another... There has to be something else conscious of it. Meaning, God can't be like, for example, king of the universe, Melech HaOlam, without someone realizing he's Melech HaOlam. So he's creating this whole thing out of himself. 
none of none, all of it's you know he's is direct drive from God at all times, including you and everything going on around you. And but you yourself can have a conscious experience of the recognition of God, and then God like gets his jollies off you recognizing God. When of course, where's your consciousness from? Your parents didn't get that, give you that. They only gave you the body, the flesh. They give you the physical body. You can't create consciousness. It doesn't exist in the physical world. Your conscious, your conscious awareness is not physical. It's not. You wouldn't come up, show up in an MRI. It's the great mystery of consciousness. Is the great mystery, and it can't be created by a human being. So we got this conscious being called God creating human beings with consciousness, which means He's giving us the consciousness. Which means whose consciousness is it? It's really God's consciousness. So now you're walking around with God's consciousness. Yeah, well, that's a good reason not to go on unseemly websites or, uh, or like, or, you know, be watching violent movies or a lot of swearing or, you know, like, poor God, you like think what you're subjecting his consciousness to. He's subjecting himself to that. <laughs> I know, but we but we have the illusion of free will, so you can actually click on you can click on the wrong movie, and now your con- God's consciousness vested in your brain not your brain but wherever wherever consciousness is no one knows where it is but it's somehow being subjected to this film if you don't have free will he chose that to happen <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah <coughs> except God gives us guidelines not to do it well you might as well stop trying because it doesn't make a difference what's that you might as well stop trying then if it doesn't make a difference because everything's a test of life and well, now stuff. you don't have free will so. um, you lost me if, if you don't have free will right then that means I'm not actually making the decision anyway so I might as well stop trying so hard that'd be really dumb <laughs> I mean if you don't have free will and now you're just going to stop trying well because then I do have free will well you, 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 you like when your consciousness is done with your body Meaning when you're going to dispose of the body, well, when they dispose of your body, when you die, your consciousness now just goes up to another realm of the illusion called Yitzira. We're in Nasiya. Now your consciousness goes up to a realm called Yitzira and, and it's, gonna, it's going to, it's going to have to live with its choices. So you're saying it doesn't have choices. Well, it doesn't matter if you do or don't, you're going to suffer if you... you got to live with your choices. <laughs> you got to live with the choices that God's choosing. Because in the end, you sense that you're making choices. And that's exactly what you will have to deal with when your soul moves on. Which The, the whole thing's bizarre. I mean, it's just... I mean, the, the, this is why religion falls so far short of a good explanation of God. You understand, religion just is lousy at explaining this stuff. Because what we're doing is calling a spade a spade here. We're, we're talking reality in here, and it's pretty weird. God's pretty strange that he's doing all this. Why would he do this? And we know the answer to the question, why he would do it. 
Because when we're experiencing this world and we make choices that are good and toward God as opposed to bad and away from God, based on our own perceptions, when we do that, when we do that, so then we are now going toward a relationship with God as opposed to going away from a relationship with God. Why God wants that to happen, we'll never know. But we do know that. I mean, it's not just... It's not just a video game that God's playing just because he loves video games. The point is the relationship. Because you can go towards or away. You have to speak louder because my mother-in-law's outside. I still couldn't hear you. She's really angry. Uh, what does it mean? <clears throat> I think that's that's worth a class in itself because it means so much to so many different people I bet you a lot of people in this room think that being a good person gives a relationship with God but like I mean I, my wife wouldn't be convinced if it was if I did the stuff she wanted me to do and avoided the stuff she didn't want me to do but had no relationship with her other than that she would consider our marriage horrible. So obviously it can't just be listening to the moral voice inside. It's your relationship with God. But how many people live this way? I mean, aren't most intellectual divrei Torah by like rabbis who are like chief rabbis of God knows what? And they'll like talk about morality and like ethical monotheism and, and the Jewish contribution to the planet and stuff. And, which is super important. Like, that is God's bigger playing, like, bigger game in the video game. Like, that is very important that the world comes to ethical monotheism. But all of us would be extremely disappointed if our... I mean, that doesn't leave you with much of a relationship. It just leaves you with a bunch of ideas about, you know, being, being good and doing the right things. So... So that's not necessarily relationship, but it's certainly part of it, because let's look at the other thing. What if I was just the most romantic man ever with my wife, but totally ignore the do's and don'ts? Like, she, things she likes, I ignore. Things she doesn't like, I ignore. Meaning, I've erased my voice regarding... I've erased her voice in what she likes and what she doesn't like. But I'm, like, super romantic. Is she going to be interested in, in my romanticisms? If I totally ignore her will? No, so you see, you need both in a relationship. But one's full of relationship, the other one's kind of dry, which is the do's and don'ts. The do's and don'ts is more of the dry stuff. But suffice it to all of us that if you've been dotting your I's and crossing your T's as a Jew, like being an observant Jew, and you're not feeling the relationship, well, duh, you know, like that's only half of it. It's not even half. It's That's the prerequisite. Now that you're avoiding what you shouldn't be doing and doing what you should be doing, now you can start having an actual relationship with God. How is that a relationship with God? That's our illusion of a relationship. The relationship with God? Yeah. Well, there's, there's probably what you would like the most is to meditate on the, to meditate on the fact that, that, that everything around you is ultimately an expression of God.
I mean, we could try that for a second. Everyone take a moment. You two are ready? Yeah, everyone take a moment. Close your eyes, my eyes are closed. Close your eyes a second. And inhale. And exhale. I notice someone's eyes are open, so please close your eyes too. Feel your eyes looking at me. Inhale. Exhale. Inhale. Exhale. And now just breathing normally, or continue with the inhale and the exhale. And just letting your awareness be on, meaning let your conscious mind be aware of the fact that that this whole world, the physical world, is the unfolding of infinite into the finite. God's creating this all around you. So everything you're hearing, vibrationally, everything you're feeling, the protection of your clothes, the fiber of your clothes, the air on your skin, the support from the chair beneath you, all of it is an expression of the unfolding of infinite into finite. Because there's no Home Depot in heaven. God's creating the world from his own consciousness. This is congealed consciousness, physical consciousness. He's giving you the heart that wants to be connected and to love. Because no one would deny that their deepest dream is to be at one with another. Well, that other is around you and surrounding you like a cocoon, filling you. Right here, right now. Eminent in that it's beyond creation, but imminent in that it fills creation. And your heart that, since you were born, basically wants to be held, connected to. By nature of being a created being right here, right now, being created from nothing into something. With its great desire to be connected realize that the connection to God is all around you. It's everywhere. It's all there is. The fact that it lets you make moral choice, at least to experience the choice, the sadness and emptiness of choosing away and the closeness and pureness of choosing toward is a gift from God to align your being with His being, to become one being. And just allowing Hashem to ghostwrite your consciousness to be that your consciousness is just like a long tentacle from God's consciousness. This is God's consciousness inside your consciousness. Protect it. 
care for it, connect it towards God's consciousness. Take a deep breath, inhale, exhale, open your eyes. That's a good start. How'd that go? So you can always do that. You know, I do that a lot. I, I'm, I, you know, most days if I'm standing in prayer, like in the, my silent prayer, that's somewhat where I am. And when I say Shema, I'm going into the oneness that all there is is God. I can't see anything else. I got my hands totally pressed against my eyes. That's, it's all part of the oneness. And so, so there's, there is quite a relationship to be had with just just melding into the ones I mean isn't that all you've ever dreamed of all of us you spent your first nine months of your life in the undifferentiated oneness of your mother's womb like that's where you spent your first nine months so then you were born one day and you were like you if you had it if you had any brains at that point in your life you'd probably probably try to jump back in like why what happened how did I get? How did I get separated from this undifferentiated oneness? And ever since then, all you do is dream about getting married. You just want to get married. You want to have yourself because it's not so easy to be married. You have to trust totally, because otherwise you can be married in name, but you know, meaning you you, st- you build a home together, but you're not married. You know. But to be married means to allow yourself in, to go total vertigo in the undifferentiated oneness with another together and, and do that ultimate trust, connectivity. And, you know, that's, why is that your greatest dream? Why does that occupy so much of your thoughts all the time? And the answer is, is because... And by the way, if you're married... Why are you so disappointed all the time? And why do you keep shooting yourself in the foot? That's a deeper question. Uh, for people who sabotage their relationships. But, but it's just... Human beings are like completely obsessed with this. We're all obsessed with it. And the reason is, is because we all were hardwired for connection. And that's the, that's the purpose of it all to be connected to make good choices so that we're not disconnected but my someone once asked my my Rebbe someone asked my Rebbe tell me Rebbe what's more important the positive commandments or the negative commandments what do you think the Rebbe said no he had to choose one positive or the negative say the positive negative who says negative yeah? What do you say? The message. Yeah. yeah, so he said the negative. So if, you're gonna, if you had to choose one, you should choose to keep the negative commandments. Why? Because it's the, it's the negative commandments that keep you from having, like, spiritual plaque on your, in your arteries. So that things are flowing properly. So now you're, now you're a good 
vessel for a relationship because you avoided the stuff that would have messed you up. So the negative commandments are the ones you want to be super careful of. And the positive ones, not that they're not serious. Definitely, you know, everyone should definitely eat matzah this Pesach. And you men should definitely be wearing tefillin. You know, for sure, positive commandments super important. Do not skip circumcising your male children. Okay, positive commandments are really important, but compared to negative commandments, they're almost elective because the because the negative commandments are are uh, you know they're they're it's a spiritual disaster for our connectivity. It messes us up. Now another way of saying it is. Uh, in the old days, they used to have stereo systems where you had a dial and you'd like watch this dial move across as you spun it to find the stations. And, and then you obviously have a volume knob. Now, if you weren't on the station, you'd keep the volume down low. Why? Because it's static. You'd just be hearing this like that. And then you start hearing music and then you hear it clearer and clearer and there's a little needle that showed the signal. And then there would be a little red light that says it's, it's such a good signal that it's now in stereo. And so you'd have a little light that says it's in, now it's in stereo. You remember those things? Anyone old enough to see such, a, such an item? Any of you ever seen this? No. <laughs> By the way, all stereos were like this for like 50 years. That's how it was. Static until you found the station. And you literally had to dial it in and watch the needle come to the top. And then the red light go on, and now you knew you were on your station. None of them have seen this before. <laughs> It'd be like, like for us, it's like no one ever saw sliced bread or something. You know, it's like that was as normal as that was what mu- listening to music was when we grew up. So, anyway, the negative commandments when you're tuning it in, still a little static, a little music. And then you got to like really fine tune it until it's like really just playing the music. That's you tuning out the negative commandments. Like that's getting, making sure you're clean of the thou shalt nots. Now it's, now you're locked on to the stereo station, the station you wanted. What knob do you touch now? Now you touch the volume knob, which is the positive commandments. Because when you do a positive commandment, you're turning up the volume of the relationship. So the negative commandments are the getting rid of all the static so that you're locked in. Once you're locked in, now you got to turn the volume. Turn up, turn up the volume. And for some reason, there's a message coming in from our sponsor that people who find themselves in an environment, like a social environment, that's... That it's not cool to be doing what I just said. Like, like, meaning it, we're, we're like, people aren't paying any attention to that. You know, any, you know what I mean? Like, a lot of people just don't care about any of this stuff. So if you find yourself, Shalom Aleichem, if you find yourself, hi, welcome. Um, I don't know where to seat you guys exactly. Okay. There's, oh, there's seats back there? Okay, great. So if you find yourself in a social environment where people don't care about the stuff we talked about just now, get out. Just get out. I mean, just get out of there. Like that, that is just... 
not where you want to be hanging out at all. And if you really love those people, and they really, and you think they love you, <laughs> a lot of sometimes we love people, and we're not, you know, take, it's not always so clear they love us. But if you really love those people, and you think they love you, well, then you're getting out of that negative environment that's that's counter spiritual. You're getting out of there will not affect the relationship. You know why? Because if it's really a worth relationship worth having. It will outlast your choice to do the right things for yourself. To be good, for example. And to be connected to God, for example. If your relationship's not like connecting to God proof, well, what kind of relationship is that? If you're in a relationship that's that's not growth proof, and can you imagine me being married to a woman who doesn't want me to grow? So, I mean, that's a, that'd be lame. You know, that'd be a non-growth relationship. I mean, it's not growth-proof, so if I grow, it's going to put stress on, on our relationship. Right? Ain't nobody got time for that. Right? So, if you, that's all, that was the message that our sponsor wanted to, me to say just now, was that if anyone finds themselves in a social circumstance where they find themselves not able to connect themselves spiritually because it just wouldn't go over so well with their peer group. So do it anyway. Just get out, do what you need to do. And if the relationships can't withstand it, well then what kind of relationship was that? That's that's not that's not a relationship you necessarily want to be having. And uh, and just as an example of this, I think I said this last week too, but the the uh, I remember everyone went off to university after 12th grade. Everyone went off to university all over the country. You know, everyone went to different cities and states and some even went to different countries. And, and when was the next time everyone would be seeing each other? So the next time would be Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is when everyone finds out in their freshman year of university who their friends are. Because when you graduate high school, everyone's your best friend. It's like you've been together for 12 years. And you're all best friends. And so you're graduating with 50 best friends or 100 best friends, depending on how big the school is. They're all your best friends. Comes along Thanksgiving and everyone comes back to town. And you know who your best friends actually are? The ones who called you and the ones you thought to call. Those are your best friends. And I tell this to people all the time that, that your relationships, if it's not Judaism proof, well, that tells you it's not much of a relationship. Anyone whose relationships... A re, Judaism can stress a relationship. I mean, there's a lot of things that stress relationships, like Shabbat. If you have relationships with people who don't keep Shabbat, and you're keeping Shabbat, that can really stress things out. Because there's like, you know, big, bad Bobby's baseball barbecue, bar mitzvah, on Shabbat, in the forest. You know... 50 miles away from any civilization. And you're keeping Shabbat. You know, and, and, you're, and 95% of your family doesn't. And no one misses bar mitzvahs. It can be pretty stressful on people if you don't show up to that bar mitzvah. Now, obviously, you'd be at the bar mitzvah. And they'd be like, oh, that's so amazing that you gave up on Shabbat to be here. And then you show them, you see that mountain up there with the forest? Yeah, you see that little blue tent over there? I've been here since Friday. 
They're like, but there was a rainstorm Friday night. And you're like, yeah. It's been an interesting Shabbat so far. <laughs> Let's just say I haven't had any hot food. But I'm not missing the family barbecue for Big Bad Bobby's Bar Mitzvah. And so, meaning you can take steps in their direction. My mother did this. My, my mother's like the matriarch of this big family, and no one expected her to become observant. Next thing you know, she's observant. And, and she had to like... She went to everything. She wasn't going to miss a family. She's the matriarch of like all these little cousins of mine and her nieces and nephews and everyone. And so she shows up at everything, but she stays in a hotel nearby. And at first they were like, oh, you're not going to eat our food or you're not going to do this, you're not going to do that. And you're only going to be at this part because the other party's 10 miles away because at night we're here, but then day we're there. And so you're not going to really be at the night thing. And, and, you know, they were giving her a hard time. One day they woke up and realized, oh my gosh, this woman's totally dedicated to our family. She's just not willing to break halacha, break Jewish law. And it turns out that the blood of the family, blood, like blood relatives, that blood was thicker than values. That, they, that her values stayed, but the, but the blood was stronger in the end. And today, years, years, years later, she's now 80, um, they... Anytime there's one of these bar mitzvahs or anything, you know what happens? She gets her invite with a little card saying that um, your meals will be catered by such and such kosher catering. Here's the hotel. No one's staying in hotels. They're all driving in. Here's the hotel you'll be staying in. And it's so beautiful. They, they, none of them are very observant of Jewish halacha. And here they have their, they have their totally set up for every event. You know, it's so it's so beautiful. Like they finally realized, like she wasn't going away from us, but she was going toward God, toward Hashem, towards toward observance. I'm on a totally new subject, by the way. I decided to drop that subject. Um, anyone interested in? Uh, uh, Anyone got a question of any kind whatsoever? It could be literally anything. We got four minutes. How about these people just walked in? Like, what do you, what do you, what are you doing here? What do you want to know? What? Think about it. What do you want to say? Um, how do you like learn about meditation? You were saying before that you meditate during development. So it's not really part of the standard education. How should we find out about that? Um, so it was interesting we were just learning the page of Talmud that said that the uh, that the um, that the people used to originally meditate for a while like an hour of meditation and then I think they meditated how many hours did they meditate first? I just read this I woke up on the wrong side of the bed today. My brain's a little fuzzy. It's funny, I actually told my wife, that's it, I'm going back to sleep. I went back to sleep and I didn't fall asleep. So I'm like, okay, I'm getting up. But, um, anyone remember, was it three hours? Three hours, yeah. They would meditate for three hours. Then they would pray for three hours, maybe? Pray for one hour. And then they'd meditate, they'd like do the coming out meditation for another three hours. Every day. <laughs> That's seven hours a day in meditation. 
So, yeah, so that's very far from how you were educated. I feel bad that kids are made to pray in school altogether. How are they ever going to recapture the magic of prayer after being after mandatory prayer? No. I feel like that's one of the things I got most lucky with as becoming observant later in my life is I never I never was made to pray. It was something I I chose to do when I was ready to do it, you know, to call out in prayer. It's like that was on my terms, not some rabbi or school teacher's terms. Um Anyway, so how to do it? I mean, first of all, there's breath work. So that's YouTube. You know, you get the breath work down. I think that's half the key is the breath work. So breath work. Um, the other thing you want to do is um, say one word at a time for as long as you're exhaling. And you'll find your mind wandering all over the place, far from that word. But you keep bringing your mind back to the the thought of that word you're saying. Just keep bringing it back. You know, they call it in the Eastern traditions. They call it the monkey brain. So you're going to have a big monkey brain at the beginning when you start doing this. But what happens is if you keep drawing it back to the thing you're supposed to be speaking about, the thing you're saying. If you keep drawing your brain back to it and back to it and back to it again, what are you doing? You're developing muscles. You're, you're creating mental discipline. Because one of the main things you're, you need to meditate in Judaism is, is patience. So, for example, we'll be doing a, we do a 12-hour Tubishvat meditation in my house every Tubishvat. And, like, big meditators show up there and it's... It's an amazing food meditation. And the first thing we do is spend about two hours meditating before we begin eating the fruits. But the fruits are all in front of you. So you just want to like grab them the whole night. But we're doing like two hours of meditation because we're fixing Adam and Eve's sin that he said, don't eat the fruit. And they're just like, what fruit? This one? So they, it's, it's, we're being patient. We're waiting. Food meditations in general. Everyone thinks of food meditation means you're going to meditate on the food. You do that, but you start with like really long, you know, meditation first. So uh, it was really funny. I showed up at, I did, I led a food meditation for some wealthy people in a restaurant called Cheyenne in uh, Jerusalem. I took the inner room under the windmill and I told them we'll show up at nine and so the, the manager of the restaurant set us up in the room at nine and, and he realized that it was already 11 when the kitchen closes and not a thing had been, nothing to do with food had happened yet. And he was like, uh, kitchen's closing guys. You've been sitting here for two hours. You've ordered nothing. You've eaten nothing. And we also hadn't had anything that day either because I had just brought them from a desert meditation. You know, we had been doing a meditation in the desert that day. That's basically how I live my life. I only, just before this class, realized I better put something in my body. So I, I just, I just like, went down to the yeshiva and there's a big cauldron of vegetable soup. So I had two cups of vegetable soup. That's, that's been my intake today. And uh, we do that, in my family, we do that on Sundays because, you know, Shabbos food's quite heavy. And I give our digestion a little, little break on Sundays. Anyway... The discipline, 
you know, you look like a pretty tough guy. It looks like you got some discipline in you. So it's the same like you do for your muscles, you got to do for your brain. Get yourself disciplined. And it's really healthy to do this, by the way. You get mentally disciplined means just everything comes with greater thought and greater control the mind over the, of the emotion, and meaning mind over the desire. And it's really a good thing all around. Besides meditation, it's, it's good to have your mind disciplined. Okay, everyone, four o'clock. Have a beautiful day. Um, those who've been watching live, please follow, click, subscribe, all those good things. Okay. Thank you. Yep. Yomtovmediaclub.com. Thank you. Your teacher. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.